I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in, brand new Made for March. Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard talking all things college hoops with you on today's show. What a start to the season. We have yet another number one team. Baylor is the new one wearing the crown right now. We're going to get into everything that we saw this week. Kind of tier some teams as well, as well as some notes and observations from the week. Because there there was some wonky stuff this week. If you if you missed it, you may, uh, you may be into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about down the stretch here as well. But first, Tim, let's just get into some of these these tiers and what we want to see and what we've seen so far out of the college basketball season. So how do you want to kind of format all of this that we're going through here? Well, I figure, so I ranked the top 10 teams as I see it right now, not what they are in the AP poll necessarily, but just how I am tiering the top teams. And I think it's a fascinating question, right? Because last year, Baylor-Gonzaga was very much in a tier of its own, and the debate on this podcast for most of last year was, is Gonzaga in a tier of its own, and then Baylor's How big was the gap? Yeah, how big was that gap, or how big was the gap between Baylor and everyone else? And now we're kind of getting the opposite, and this is what makes college basketball fun, is this year, it's a challenging task, in my opinion, to rank the top 10 teams in the country, and also to find, all right, where do we drop off to the next tier? I don't know if you have a similar sort of mindset on that, but I feel like there's about six, seven teams that have a case to be the best team in the country right now. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So we will do that. We'll look at some of the odds from BovadaSportsBook.com. So how do you want to do this? You want to count them down 10 to 1, what we're seeing right now? Yeah, we can do that. I'm cool with that. All right, go go ahead. Who is your number 10 team in the country right now? So I put UCLA. By, by the way, I, I okay, so UCLA is your number 10. I, yeah. I want to ask you this. Okay. Do you believe all 10 of these teams can win a national championship? Yeah, so I was thinking about that. I think I would say... Probably the I think there's six really solid. Yes, I'm I'm very confident they're national title contenders. Their fan base is viewing them as national title contenders, and if they don't win a national title this year, their fan base might be a little disappointed. Then I think there's another tier seven through ten where it's kind of like if the stars align. Yes, I could see them cutting down the nets, but I'm not necessarily like visualizing it too much. If that makes sense. Yeah, so here's the way I kind of frame it. I think there's probably four or five teams that if this were the NBA and you were playing series, I think there's four or five teams that could win. But given the nature of March Madness, one-and-done tournament formats and that stuff, I think all 10 of the teams that I'm about to rattle off have the opportunity and are good enough to win a national championship. Right, I agree with that. So I ranked UCLA 10, which is probably lower than the consensus on them. I think they are mostly higher in analytics and AP poll. I think they're four right now, if I'm not mistaken. They looked good against Marquette. I also felt like Marquette was just really bad in that game too. And that was a Weird spot for UCLA to look really good because it was a game in Milwaukee that I thought going in Marquette had a pretty good chance. I just was lower on UCLA at the start of the year, and they did get whipped pretty good by Gonzaga. I think the true litmus test for them in this early season is coming up this weekend against UNC. That's a really intriguing game for me because UNC is kind of trending in the right direction, and I've seen, I think I saw in Bavada an early line of I think five or six points UCLA's favored. And I feel like that's pretty much a toss-up right now, the way those two teams are playing. Yeah, that that's a that's a good one there. My my number 10 team, I'm gonna go with Auburn. I really like what I've seen out of Auburn. Their lone I have loss them so nine, far. So that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Right yeah, there. They, their lone loss right now is that double overtime game in Atlantis. And or like if we think about it, your one loss is off the mainland. And it's an overtime, a double overtime game at that. So, like, if we're doing hockey scoring here, like, you're picking up a point in that regard. And we kind of joked about that with Dayton. Like, Dayton would have gotten a hockey point in every single game they played in a couple of years ago before the tournament got axed, and they weren't given a chance to go out there and potentially be a one seed. I just love the way they're playing. Jabari Smith is a ton of fun to watch. He's going to be a lottery pick. And then just some of the complimentary pieces around him as well. I mean, you've seen guys like... 
Katie Johnson step up and Wendell Green. It's still kind of perplexing to me what the point guard situation is ultimately going to be like because I don't think they've completely solidified that. But I just think the complementary players and the amount of depth that this team has, they're going to go a long way. I really like this Auburn team. Yeah, and they've dealt with some injuries at that point guard position. It's it's important to remember, I guess, that hopefully when they get fully healthy, they'll be even better than they are right now necessarily. I think Jabari Smith has really lived up to the hype so far. They just have dudes. They have a lot of athletes, a lot of really talented players. And I look at the general shape of the SEC right now. It's a fascinating conference because it feels like there's a lot of teams kind of in that Auburn tier. But you look at Bavada. And they're ten to one to win the SEC right now. Like you put Ooh. down ten dollars, oh. you make a hundred. Oh, 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 wait, 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 hold on there, hold on. Might there. Have we need to, to back up. Place that. <laughs> we might need to put everything on pause there. Yeah, because and- like at the end of the day, when you look at in the SEC is a, a obviously a super strong conference. I, I I don't have the odds in front of me right now. I don't know if you do, but I would guess no team right now is shorter than four to one. So I think it is around there as I look at it. And it's also, I feel like Bavada, you can kind of catch some good value on some of these numbers early in the season because maybe they're just focused on NFL and stuff. I don't know. It seems like they don't update odds <laughs> yeah, a it's ton. Like, it's like Ken Palm. Like the, the algorithm doesn't really kick in when, yeah. until we get to the new year. <laughs> right. So I'm even like LSU's 10 to 1 to win the SEC. LSU at the start of the year was probably around there, but now I would view them as better team than that 10 to I think Auburn and LSU 10 to 1 it's tough because there's a lot of teams that can win the SEC you're still going up against the likes of Kentucky Florida Tennessee like there's so many good deep talented teams but I view Auburn and LSU as two of the premier contenders in that conference and you can get them at 10 to 1 right now yeah that that's tremendous value right there you know what I was thinking of too with this Auburn team can you imagine how much more fun they would be if they had Sharif Cooper. Like, can you imagine yeah. the Cooper to Smith lobs? That to me is like that. That is college basketball porn right there. Yeah, like seriously, awesome. like that, that right there in and of itself would just make for an absolutely epic back and forth sequence uh, of basketball. And listen, I get like Sharif Cooper is not going to do a whole heck of a lot for you on the defensive end, but this is a Bruce Pearl team that is playing like a top 15 defense. And that's the thing is Auburn's got balance right now. 16th ranked offense on Ken Palm, 13th ranked defense on Ken Palm. And what do we like to say? When you've got balance, you've got a pretty high ceiling. Exactly. Yeah, I really like Auburn. I guess moving on to my number eight team here because Auburn was number nine for me. Or I guess you want to get your number I, nine? Well, it's funny you said that because I flip-flopped UCLA and, and, oh, really? and Auburn with you. So I have <laughs> okay. UCLA at 9 um, and Auburn at 10. Okay, so number 8, I'll be curious if you even have them in your top 10. But shout-out to Houston because I think they do have oh, a really okay. good team again. And watching that Alabama-Houston game, funny ending with the goaltend and NATO sticking out his hand and the crowd was into it at Alabama. Really good college basketball game there. But I almost Mm -hmm. came away more impressed with Houston than Alabama. And for me, if you're going to rank, like, I'll just spoil it. I have Alabama 7 on my list. And it's hard for me to put Alabama too much ahead of Houston when Houston just went into their place and almost beat them, if not for, you know, a couple last-second plays going Alabama's way, basically, and really hung tough. And I don't know. I think Houston has really passed most of the test of this early non-conference season with flying colors. And... You just look at them, they're only going to rise from here, you would think, in the American. Like, they have a decent shot, I think, of finishing with a number one or a number two seed next to their name again. Yeah, I I really like Houston. I'm I'm with you. I came away impressed. And it's not that I didn't come away impressed by Alabama, because what they did was still really, really good in that game. And, And honestly, like, that atmosphere at at the Coleman Coliseum, too, like, it felt like a big time game. It really yeah. did. What was that? Uh, was that a Saturday night, I believe it was, or was it a Friday night? I know it was a weekend night. it was night Saturday, 10 p.m. start, where, like, I think, if You I wouldn't expect the students to be out for a game like that, right? Like, uh, like it's the basketball team at an SEC school, but the entire atmosphere was great. I mean, everyone was into that game, the entire sequence. I thought that was really, really cool to see. Um, 
But no, I I do not have Houston in my my top ten. But I would probably put them like on the outside looking in, and certainly a contender to go to the Final Four because it doesn't feel like they've dropped off a whole heck of a lot. At least not as far as I would expect them to drop off after losing a guy like Quentin Grimes and Dejan Giroux. Yeah, and I want to shout out Jawan Roberts because he's literally the most Houston basketball player I've ever seen in my entire life. Watching him, he comes in in that Alabama game off the bench. And he's 6'7", but he's a freak athlete like all these Houston players, and he crashes the glass like Kelvin Sampson preaches. And he has nine offensive rebounds, 13 total rebounds in 22 minutes off the bench. To have nine offensive boards as a 6'7 guy, like on the road against a legit team, a really good team in Alabama, who we have inside our top 10, I mean, that's really awesome that Houston is able to kind of maximize the rebounding they get out of these athletes. And it's kind of just a factory at this point, like almost the way that we look at uh, Villanova and Virginia and Baylor, and we kind of know their identity year in and year out, or we say Florida State has length. Like Houston is just going to have these players going forward, I think, and they all are kind of buying into it together, which is really a testament to the coaching staff. Also, I... I'm a sucker for something here with Houston, okay? I'm sure you've seen the video, Jamal Sheed picking up the trash yeah, on the yeah. way out after the way that the rest of the team and the coaches acted at the end of the game. And again, it's a very emotional moment at, at the end, and I get the frustrations from the players and coaches. Maybe didn't need to throw a tantrum to that degree, but um, him picking up the trash. I, I got to say, I'm a sucker for two types of videos in this world, all right? Any video with the I'm coming home music behind it of an <laughs> athlete going back to their hometown or whatever, or it really doesn't even have to be an athlete. It, just any sort of I'm coming home video with that song in the background, I'm a sucker for it. And I'm a sucker for the guy who's picking up the trash. Like I remember there was a video that went viral a couple years ago of a Vanderbilt baseball player. His name was uh, Steven Scott. And he, Vandy had just won the College World Series and he was there picking up the trash in the dugout, like all the, the water cups and stuff like that. So I'm a sucker for two types of, of videos. And those are the two right there. And, and uh, Jamal Sheed, he earns a lot of points in my book for that. Yeah, that was really cool. And honestly, a hilarious ending to that game. I love Nate Oates, how he does that. <laughs> I love Nate Oates. Like most people would think he's a dick for doing that. But because it's Nate Oates and we know he's cool. And he's proven a, a, along every juncture that he's cool. Like, he craps on Coach K for the the um, the non-conference thing. Like, oh, you wouldn't be saying that we should shut the season down if it weren't for a couple of non-conference losses. And, and just the way that he interacts with his players and all that stuff. Like, if it weren't Nate Oates, we would think... Like, if Coach K did that, if the shoe were on the other foot, we'd be like, oh, oh absolutely. That like, yeah. <laughs> but, but because it's Nate Oates, I'll allow it. And I love it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. If Coach K did that, I would be leading this podcast with a visceral reaction to how much I hated that. Or, or it would get, you know, college basketball fan base up in a tizzy. But when Nate Oates does it, it's awesome. But that's also just a testament to the reputation he's built there and everything. And I do think Alabama, we can talk about them. I don't know. Where do you have Alabama ranked? I have Alabama a little bit higher than you. So you have them at seven. What yeah. am I on? I'm on number eight now, I, I believe. I, I've given you Auburn and I, I've given you yep. um, Houston, or not Houston, um, and UCLA. So I'm on number eight. I'm going to go with USC. I, I've really liked what I've seen out of USC so far in the early going. I feel like they've been one of the surprising teams so far. But when you look at some of the pieces that they brought in, I think one of the more underrated moves of the entire offseason among the college basketball landscape was Boogie Ellis coming into USC. And I think he's going to really make an impact on this team moving forward. I, I like what he's done at the guard position for this team, kind of giving them some stability there. I, I just really like what USC – they already have two Pac-12 wins. And you can say, oh, it's it's Utah and Washington State. But Washington State's getting a little bit better, and that game was on the road, probably going to be a quad one win when it's all said and done for USC. So 11-0 start for the, the Trojans, and I'm a fan of what I've seen so far. Yeah, they've gone away from home a lot. They've won some road games that aren't that tough of places to win, necessarily. Florida, Gulf Coast, Temple early in the season were road wins. The old them. Andy Enfield, uh, the courtesy game, yes, going back exactly. to Florida, the, Gulf Coast. The rematch, because I think when he was at Florida, Gulf Coast, didn't they beat USC? And that was kind of maybe why USC that, was drawn to him in the first place. That sounds place. right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> That's usually the way it goes. Like, well, isn't like... um. 
whenever Tony Bennett's out, who who's the UMBC coach? Ryan something. Well, he he's um, not. He's somewhere else. I think he's at. One right. of these programs that's doing he good. Did, he did take a step up, but yeah, yeah he'll, he'll be in the rumors whenever uh, the Cavalier fans want to push Tony Bennett out. Right, yeah. Now I'm, now you're making me, I want to look that up where, oh, Utah State is where Ryan Odom went, but which is- Ryan a, Odom, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're off to a good start and they're a good program there. But yeah, on the note of USC, I couldn't quite get to top 10 with them. I do think they'd probably be 11 or 12. They just nece- they haven't necessarily gone up against like a- heavyweight team yet and we haven't seen that and then I sort of sought them out last night because they're playing UC Irvine and it was close and I was just like man I haven't watched much USC candidly this year because I'm on the east coast and it's tough to watch their games and I was impressed but I don't know if I'm ready to get to top 10 good with them yet I think they've got a lot of good things going for them defensively but and they've got a lot of athletes too I just don't know top 10 is really tough for me to give you the benefit of the doubt unless you've sort of beaten a team that's top 25 good yeah I think a team that probably could be interchangeable there and I don't have in my top 10 but maybe should be in my top 10 I just kind of like some of these other teams a little bit more in terms of long-term prospects but Iowa State's right there with them too yeah as one of the sort of feel-good stories that's quite the story yeah and if anything, Iowa State probably has a, a better resume than USC so far, so I probably should flip them. Um, but uh, I feel like we don't show the West Coast enough love on the show, so I'll, I'll give it to USC. Right. Okay, so who's your seven? Because my seven's Alabama. Okay, my seven, um, I'm going to go with Kansas right now at seven. And listen, I know Kansas has had some really, really nice performances so far in the early going. But right now, I just see a couple teams that I like a little bit more. And again, I feel like pretty much any team here, three through seven, I'm splitting hairs. Like, it feels like it's in its own tier at this point that you're getting to. Yeah, I agree. I think, so I have Kansas five. I had them sort of in my national title wooden tier. Mm -hmm. I've been impressed. I know they lost to Dayton, which was a really bad loss, but... I mean, they were up in that game. They just sort of folded late, and I'm not going to just completely scrub that. It, it's tough because that's still a really bad loss, but I got to say, I don't think enough people are talking about what Ochai Abaji is doing because in, I'm talking about from a National Player of the Year Wooden Award perspective. We started this year, and we thought, okay, it's probably going to be Paulo or Drew Timmy, and I think at one point I even said, you know, I would bet if Bavada is given odds on that type of stuff that – it would come from one of those two guys for the Wooden Award or the National Player of the Year yeah. Award. And Timmy Them or, versus the field, yeah. Or Bancaro. But I think the more we get into this, I don't have Ohio State in my top 10, I'll be you, but like EJ Liddell is playing really well. Ochai Abaji is a guy that's, he's averaging, what, 22, 23 points per game? Last I looked like, that's up there for the mm-hmm. lead in the entire nation. And he's doing it on a team that is in the, probably the best conference in college basketball and could win that conference, and it's a traditional power, and there's not a lot of talk about him. And he's also doing it like in an efficient manner. It's not like he's just chucking shots. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've been really impressed. We kind of talked about Oshaya Baji. We never thought really he would get to this point where it always feels like Kansas has the the veteran guy on the roster. And I never thought Oshaya Baji would be that guy because I thought he'd go to the league a little bit earlier yeah. than that. But now look where we're at, and I I think that puts Kansas in a really good spot. Again, my three through seven, I'm kind of splitting hairs here. But right right now, I'm going to throw Kansas back there just because of that loss to to Dayton. Yeah, and for me, the reason why I have Alabama seven, I just couldn't get them to that top tier after losing to Memphis fresh off of that. A little bit of recency bias, and that was a tough spot for them to go on the road and play Memphis, but... They've got an intriguing. I want to play a game with you yeah. at some point. Okay. Some of these early losses, which were calculated, because that's a calculated loss in my book. Like they I feel intentionally like that, threw it, or what do not, you mean? Not, they didn't intentionally throw it, but like I, I shouldn't say calculated loss, but like character building loss. Like you, you kind of need one of those. Like we, what we kind of saw last year with Gonzaga, they never had that sort of moment for them. Like I guess you could kind of say that one early West Virginia game, they got punched in the mouth, Even but that. Yeah. that but like you still ended up winning that game by what was it like eight nine points, and it just felt like they were never challenged. It wasn't that they weren't playing good teams, but it just felt like they were never challenged early on throughout that season. And then they get to UCLA, and then they obviously in the national championship against 
Baylor just get absolutely socked in the mouth. But sometimes you need some of these character-building losses, and I think for Bama, that was sort of a character-building loss. Yeah, I guess my thing is, I think they already had that with Iona, right? Where that's the one Yeah, that... but that's against Patino. Like, listen, I, <laughs> I mean, going up against Rick loss. Patino, it, it's... I don't think it's necessarily a bad loss. It's not a good loss, I'll put it there, but I don't think it's a bad loss. Because when, like, Rick Patino, I mean, he could roll YMCA guys and maybe beat some of these teams. Like, he is that good of a coach. And I feel like... Just because he's at Iona, he's not getting the credit for what he's done. Oh, I think he's even getting more credit because this is showcasing what he can do with limited sort of resources there and limited players. Like the fact that he did beat Iona, I agree. I'm a huge sort of backer of how good Rick Pitino, just the basketball coach is, but he also lost, like if we're going to pinpoint, and I guess this was more so me saying, yeah, Kansas lost to Dayton, we have to acknowledge that. Then we also have to acknowledge that Bama lost to Iona, which on a neutral site was not a great loss. I, I just, I mean, Anthony Grant versus Rick Patino, that's, that's a no contest for me. Hey, that, Anthony that's Grant's a decent coach. Don't hate. He's I a mean, decent, but he, he, is he in the Hall of Fame, Tim? Is he in the Hall of Fame? No. Will he be in the Hall of it's Fame? It's not, we're not, he's not, he's coaching a different team than Iona and Rick, like Rick, Iona still has players that shouldn't compete with Alabama players. I know Rick Pitino's well, getting better players, is, but yeah, he's getting better players. He's getting some Louisville transfers and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. I, I, I will never knock a team too harshly for losing to Rick Pitino. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I hear that. I just it, it, like, it almost reminds me of, remember when Sean Payton got suspended and had to go like coach, like, eighth grade football it's actually on his football reference page too like his coaching page like he was the offensive coordinator for some like eighth grade team it's like all right that team may not be as good as the the wildcats down the street at their local elementary school but at the end of the day there's sean payton on the other sideline like you're not gonna you're not even if you have better players you're you're not necessarily in a better spot per se because of who's on the other sideline right it's interesting to evaluate Alabama right now. And again, I'm not necessarily low on them. I think you're just really high on them because putting them yeah. at seven is probably about where most would have them right now. And that's where I have them. And they did beat Gonzaga. I think it's interesting also with Gonzaga and we'll talk about them here shortly, but Gonzaga, when they go up against a team that kind of plays their similar style, I think that it's weird. Alabama almost just sort of beat them at their own game. And it was really impressive the way they basically went on the road and beat Gonzaga. So that's why I have them at seven, because that is a really impressive win. Yeah. And I'm also one of those people too. I like to reward good wins more so than penalize bad losses, because I I think going out and beating people is much more impressive to me. And right now you, you look at some of the wins that Bama has right now, they've got two Ken Palm top five wins. Meanwhile, the best win that Kansas has is against, uh, at the time, 16 Michigan State in, uh, in Ken Palm. But since then, their best win is against a 65th rated St. John's team. So, um, again, again, I'm not down on Kansas by any right. stretch. They're going to be in, the, in it for the thick of things in Big 12 play. But right now, that's where I'm sitting. Uh, but my number six is Alabama. And I'm still, I'm still very high on this team. I still think they've got it in them. To, to make a Final Four run. And if we always talk about it. It's like the, I don't want to say passing of the torch because that's not the right way to, to frame it, but like the maturation prog- uh, process of a team. And it feels like last year's run where, for, I mean, you had to go out and face Rick Pitino in the, in the first round, which for a 215, I mean, that might be one of the, the worst possible draws you could get. Um, but just going through what they did last year and now, bringing back guys like Shackelford and Jawan Gary, like some of these glue guys, Javon Quinterly, um, bringing back those guys, some stars along with glue guys, I think is a very important blend. And Bama's got that right now. Yeah, it was interesting watching them against Memphis. And that game just got out of hand. And Memphis has been a colossal And listen, they didn't quit. I think that was one of the important things. Like that team could have folded like an absolute – like they could have folded and just absolutely gotten blown out. But the fact that they were still fighting, putting up some good threes at the end and pulling it to like 12, 10, still kind of hanging around at the end. It just, I, I like the fact that they didn't quit in that game Yeah, I when like they could have just packed it in. They kind of just, they didn't get enough from Shackelford. That was a rare off game for him after he was sensational. Well, he didn't get in the chances. Game. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even get the chances to kind of showcase that. 
as yeah. well because like they, they they ran him off the three point line. They I think he, at the half he only had attempted one three pointer. Yeah, and like this is a Bama team four, that four for twelve from the floor in that game. And yeah. Memphis has good defense as as bad as they've been all year. I did not see Memphis beating Alabama. I also didn't see them doing it by scoring 92 points. I think Matt Norlander tweeted this out, but it's like the most points Memphis has scored in a regular season ranked game or a good quality game since 2008. So since the Calipari era, basically, they yeah. they just have D-Rose. not been able to put the ball in the ocean and their offense has been unwatchable all year. So I don't know what that says about Alabama's defense. Again, I think that was just kind of a tough spot to be at the FedEx Forum. A really good crowd. I got to give credit to Memphis because... Their team's been an abomination this year to watch, and they're coming off some really bad losses and some controversial comments from their coach, and it's just been all over the place for them, and then their crowd shows up, and that looked like a great environment for a big game that yeah. they really needed. There have been some awesome atmospheres. Let's just put it that like, And again, it, it, like everyone's saying it. like Everyone's saying, oh, it's good to have fans back, but right. like... It is. The <laughs> atmospheres, it, it feels like a pay-up, and I don't know if it's that we've been kind of drawn into this lull because we haven't seen it in a while. But the fact that you go out and see some of these crowds and <laughs> they're, they're a rowdy bunch. They're a rowdy. It feels like college football games inside college basketball stadiums. All right. Who do you have at number six? All right. So this is interesting because it's Purdue for me, which I think a lot of people Ooh, will be surprised okay. about. I don't know why we're still keeping them in the top three, top four. I was really concerned, not necessarily with the Rutgers loss and losing on a half-court shot, although Rutgers is not a good team, and they've been down some injuries as well to Baker and stuff like that, so that wasn't a good loss. But then you have time to sort of reevaluate. You understand that you got caught in a bad spot. You come out. You should be having a lot of urgency, neutral site against a bad NC State team that doesn't have Manny Bates anymore. He's out for the year. They don't necessarily have the pieces to stop you. And you're down by 10 and in a total sweat with an NC State team that is not good, in my opinion. So I just didn't like the way that if there was ever a game for them to kind of reestablish themselves and come out with a lot of urgency, I felt like it was that NC State game. And it seems like they're just working through rotations a little bit right now. And it's the Zach Eady, Travion Williams thing that is just an interesting, I guess, conundrum, sort of not the right phrase, because it's a good problem to have. But I think we'd be lying if we said that, or if we didn't say that, you know, if they could make a trade right now, if this was the NBA, they'd probably do that. The fact that Eady and Williams play the same position and can't be on the court really together is sort of concerning for me. Yeah, I think... I think you'll see Purdue start to reap the benefits of having that, though, once they get into Big Ten play. And you're going up against all these great bigs night after night after night. And, okay, you get one of them in foul trouble. There's one coming off the bench who, quite frankly, might even be even better. And it just kind of depends on the given night. I'm a little bit higher on Purdue than you, and I can kind of explain why once we get to to where I have them slotted in. But... um. I will say this. Yes, the, the Rutgers game was, was not a good look, um, but losing if, – if the thing that's holding you back from thinking they're a contender is a road game where they lost on it's a half-court shot. It's not. It's the NC State game. I, I really don't care about the Rutgers game. I care more about the NC State really, off of be- the Rutgers loss. Because I was actually kind of encouraged by the, the NC State game, at least the final eight or so minutes um, of regulation, because it showed to me that they're a team that – when kind of you know what hits the fan, they can turn it on into a different gear because like they almost went out and covered a 14 point spread in overtime. And w- when they get themselves into this different gear, and I don't know if it's a motivation factor or what, but they showed me that they can flip it into a different gear because the dominance that they played with down the stretch and into overtime, like I, I was watching it and I placed a live bet on Bovada. I got Purdue live at at plus 500, and I'm loving the way that that paid out right there because I saw them kind of flip the switch. You could see them playing with a different intensity, and I think it kind of starts and ends with Jaden Ivey and what he does on the defensive side of the ball because his aggressiveness and his ability to move his feet and defend on the perimeter is something that I I love watching. I I think that when he is really dialed in, it's, it's great to see, and I'm just wondering if maybe this Purdue team early on just sort of got a little bored, maybe got a little bit of 
bored. But why and are you that bored sort of... off of the loss? That's the part. I don't buy that they were bored coming off of a loss and, you know, some time to get ready. I think it was also, yeah, that was a game too where just shots kind of weren't falling for them as well. I, I'm not, I'm not worried about Purdue. All right. Um, I'm not worried one bit about them. I think the, the benefit of having two bigs is certainly going to rear its head once we get to, to big 10 play in full force of big 10 play. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm sitting at right now with them. My number five is Duke. I'm right. I mean, like it's tough to really place Duke right now. They don't just because what games. They right. Exactly. <laughs> like right out of the gate, like they, they completely pissed on the integrity of what it meant to be a student athlete. It felt like they were playing NBA schedules with like three games in five days, but they've kind of had a lull here. Um, they have another cancellation this weekend, although they did reschedule that. Um, out of the the Cleveland State cancellation, I can't remember who it was. Um, I think that they're they, playing they Loyola now, Loyola Maryland. That sounds right. Chicago. Yep, Loyola Maryland. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. Loyola Maryland. I know some people were were parading around because Iona's game against Seton Hall has been axed to that to get a, a K versus Patino one last time, but uh, oh, it doesn't look awesome. like that's going to happen. But that would be great. That would be awesome to see. Um, but yeah, right now I have Duke, and I, I kind of hate to to penalize for for idleness here but it's just you've seen some other teams do some great stuff and when you don't play and and when you do play you're not really playing anyone like it's it's tough to give you a bump so i'm gonna sit with duke at five right now so i have duke at two and it's tough because well i'm a unc fan for one i i hate to admit it but i think they are very solid this year i think they're in a good spot too where the acc is down i look Bavada has them plus 105 to win the ACC right now. I would be all over that if I didn't have no vested yeah, interest. I just with don't want to bet on Duke. Yeah, but yeah. that's that's a good value, I think, for sure right now. And also Houston, just looking at it now, is plus 105 to win the American. I definitely might pause the podcast and be on that because Memphis, I mean, who else is going to win the American besides Houston this year? I don't see why they no don't one. have a minus in front of them. But on the note of Duke... It is weird they just haven't played very much lately. They took November 30th to December 14th off, then they come back and beat South Carolina State, who's 345 in Ken Palm right now. I just think they have a good path to sort of stay up there near the top, and they're a really solid team from what we've seen so far, and I don't really penalize them too much for the Ohio State loss. One, because it was a tough spot on the road off of Gonzaga. Felt like they were going to lose that game going in. It was one of those... Bavada lines that was head scratchingly in favor of Ohio State and it just it felt like a trap game from the start and then the other thing is Ohio State has looked really good since they played Duke as well and there's been no hangover from them so I think we have to give them some credit for losing that game like it's not that bad of a loss the more time has passed yeah I'm listen I'm not necessarily penalizing Duke it's just when you're idle and when you're not playing anyone I, I see teams that that are elevating past yeah so who do you have at what are we at now number five five yeah so i have kansas we've talked about them i think a good amount right. so far mm-hmm. but i'll go to my number four unless who's your number five have we gotten to yours my number five was duke okay yeah, yeah. Duke so was my number five my number four i'm just dying to talk about this team we have to talk about arizona because they're at number four for me right now and listen i think you're selling them short because i'm going to tell you right now they're they're my number three i i what they're doing is unbelievable right now and Tommy Lloyd has done a fantastic job. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I was watching them against Illinois, and I caught myself the other day because I was like, man, they're playing like Gonzaga. And then I was like, uh, oh, yeah, Tommy Lloyd was was at Gonzaga. Right. Like, <laughs> of course they're playing like Gonzaga. And they do kind of play like those really good UNC teams used to play, the uh, run-and-gun, two big lineups, because yeah. they have these athletic bigs like Coloco, who's – really a factor on both ends of the court. They've just got a lot of players, and I got to pat myself on the back because I think we did a podcast early in the year, and I pinpointed them watching them even against some bad teams early in the year. I remember watching one of their early games against like UT Rio Grande Valley where they just looked like they were way ahead of the curve in terms of They won of by 54. Yeah, like it's it, they didn't play anyone until Wichita State. And even that Wichita State game, you could say, oh, Wichita State took them to overtime. But they were up big there. And I was buying their stock early in the season. Now, it's funny because I feel like this is kind of a bad time to be pumping their tires because, man, do they have a right. gauntlet coming up here with these three yeah. road games. You get a nice ahead. little 
Yeah, nice little tease. And then, like you said, three straight road games at Tennessee, at UCLA, at USC. I mean, that's the toughest stretch anyone's going to have like all season, right? On the road, three in a row like that. I I don't know how you win. If you win one of those, you're not too devastated. If you win two, I think that's fine. And if they win all three, they might legit be number one in the country out of that stretch because it depends on what Baylor does, of course, I guess. But gosh, I think you're right. From what we've seen from them so far, I would almost put them at two or three but I'm a little hesitant to jump all in because it seems like they're probably going to fall to like AP 12 or 13 ranking here shortly. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I, I hope they don't. And that's kind of the dangers of the AP poll is that, yeah, like it can be very ex- reactionary. And like, even if you are the number one team in the country and you lose a game, there's still, you still might be the best team in the country, but because you lost, everyone feels the immediate rush to to kind of knock you down a peg. And I'm afraid that's might that might be what happens with Arizona, but like the way that they're playing, like they went out and killed Michigan, like killed Michigan. And to go out and do some of the things that they've done, like Ben Matherin he's is shooting up draft boards. Right like, yeah, he's yeah. an All-American right now. And, and just all the different pieces that they have on this team. Kreesa, um They're so and, fun to and, and watch. Tabellus, I, and, like, I can't yeah. wait to watch those games, those ones we laid out. I mean, especially UCLA and Zona, that is going to be a ball to watch on December 30th. Got a little of time. I mean, Tennessee's going to be interesting because that's just such a contrast in styles there where Tennessee can't score at times but has really good D. And I'm not saying Arizona has bad D, but the way they get up and down the court, very fun to watch. And that's... That's why it's just cool that Tommy Lloyd's there. I'm really buying stock in what he's doing. There was a great article in The Athletic kind of breaking down a film room of Arizona, and they're running some great stuff on offense. And this team is young also. Like, we're we're going to be seeing them for a while. For the next three or four years, they could blossom into one of the better programs in the country under Tommy Lloyd. And now the youth is also something that somewhat concerns me too. Like, all right, you're going to go through this tough three-game stretch. Where's your head going to be when you dig yourself out of the sand here? Whatever the record may be. If you're if you're one and two out of it, do you take those two losses a little bit too harsh? Or if you go three and oh, do you have a major letdown against an Arizona State? Right. And also, not to mention, Arizona State is on the road, too. So this is four games in a row. Really, I don't even count like Northern Colorado last night. They beat Cal Baptist. They've got coming up. I get those are real games, but. You're playing five games in a row that you know you have to play well to win, and all five of those are on the road, dating back to that Illinois game where it's funny. I thought like I felt like Illinois actually sort of had a lot of things go their way. They hit a lot of shots. They were at home. The crowd was into it. It was kind of like Illinois got the recipe to beat Arizona in terms of game flow and everything, and I know they're without Curbelo and they've been down injuries all year, but Illinois played well in that game, and Arizona still beat them, which is really impressive. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. Um, okay, where are we at? We're number, number four. Three. Did you give your number? Or actually, what's three. your number four? Because you have Arizona uh, So three. my number four, yeah, I've got Arizona three. My number four is Gonzaga right now. And they're one of those teams who now is kind of not in that idle period, but you're not going to hear a lot from Gonzaga really over the next couple of weeks. They got weeks a big game this weekend, new- but outside yeah, of that. Yeah, this weekend, Texas Tech, um, neutral site there, but then you get into the the meat of WCC, and like, yeah, there's some good teams in the WCC, but you're not, a lot of them are actually backloaded too in terms of the, the good teams that you're facing. Like your final four games, or final six games rather, five of the six are against Ken Palm top 100s, but the front end is, is there's not a lot of challenges that they're going to face early on. Yeah, it looks like they should kind of have some time to figure some things out. I'm still buying stocking and Zaga. I have them at three. Yeah. I still think they're a legit national title contender. They lost to Alabama, but and they lost to Duke, but those are two good teams. And also, they beat UCLA pretty bad. They beat Texas pretty bad. I don't really like Texas right now. I have not liked what I've seen from them. But it, regardless, it's still a solid Which is win. concerning to me. Because, like, Texas is a team that I want to be good this year. Yeah. Not just because I like them heading into the year, but, like, they're a team that has a bunch of fun players. And if they can figure things out, they will be a a really fun team in in what should be a very entertaining Big 12. 
as well. Yeah, I don't even know why so, they're ranked. I, I guess it's just because of their preseason ranking, but they haven't beat anyone so far, and we don't have to spend too much time They haven't time on beat that, anyone, but, but they, they haven't had any bad losses per se no, either. I mean, there are two losses, Gonzaga and Seton Hall on the road. I just... I don't like what I'm seeing, even in their games against bad competition. Marcus Carr, it's funny because it feels like Chris Beard had Mac McClung sort of buy into the, I used to be a high usage guy, and now I'm coming to a, a culture that is more about winning and more about passing and everything. It's almost like they're overpassing the way their team is playing. They're playing mm-hmm. really slow. They have the slowest tempo in the country. And shout out to the three-man weave guys. I was listening to their podcast, and they were talking about how why is Chris Beard playing so slow? It's not like he necessarily used to do that. And you've got athletes, you've got dudes, you've got Trey Mitchell, all these guys that are coming in with high pedigree, Timmy Allen, like former five stars on your roster. And you're not going up and down the court against some of these really bad teams that you played. It's concerning to me the way they're playing right now. So another thing to monitor with Texas too Dylan Deesu just came back. Right. He played in that Arkansas Pine Bluff game. Arkansas Pine Bluff's like the worst team in college basketball. So this team has really struggled to rebound, and Deesu's one of the best rebounders in the country. How much is this going to impact it? Because if they get him and he can rebound and, and give you some, some solid work out there, that could completely change some of these outcomes. Like maybe you win that Seton Hall game if you have a guy like Deesu. Yeah, I don't know if... I'm out on them in March. I'm out on them right now, though. And I would not be surprised if they even like lose to a Stanford and really struggle here until about February, March. I think it's just it's tough to incorporate a lot of new pieces and a lot of former star players and get them to all buy in together. Like it's almost like Chris Beard does really good with less. And I don't know how well he's going to do with all this talent in his system. And it's just going to take some time there. I really like Chris Beard. I was sort of torn on how to feel about them going into the season. And from what I've seen so far, I just don't think they're close to a top 25 team right now. Okay. Uh, Let's move on. My number three, I have, um, or wait, am I on number three or number two? I don't even know right now. I'm I'm losing. Arizona is your three, Um, right? So Arizona is my three. Correct. Yep. So my number two is Purdue. I, I listen, I still like this team. They, they killed teams. Early on, they killed good teams too, um, and I just kind of like what I've seen out of Purdue. Pretty much game in and game out, you're getting consistency. I get that the the Rutgers game is a little bit of a blip because you lost it, but I'm I'm not worried as much. They they do have a pretty soft open, I think, as well to the Big Ten to let them sort of iron out some of these kinks here. Um, but I, I'm not worried about Purdue. I, I'm not going to overreact. I, I liked how they played down the stretch against NC State. I think that a lot of people are trying to find the warts with this team, but at the end of the day, they still have the best offense in the country. And you look at really all of the top teams that we're talking about here, some of the best cultures in the country. And I think this is certainly one of them when you've got the the debacle of Travion Williams versus Zach Eady, and you've got a player that's willing to do that. You've got an NBA lottery pick, top five potential guy in Jaden Ivey. Like, they haven't had star power like Jaden Ivey in a long, long time. So yeah. I'm I, I'm I'm all in on this Purdue team. I, I, I'm still not hitting the panic button, um, and I still think they're a national title contender. And I I do think that they're still like within an earshot of, of being the number one team in the country right now. Yeah, I still have them as a national title contender. To be clear, I'm nitpicking what is a really good team. I just think they're probably six right now for me because. There's a lot of also really good teams that have a little more less questions, I think. Like the Zach Eady-Williams thing is just something I'm monitoring because Eady's barely playing right now. In the last two games, at least, he played 12 minutes against NC State, 16 against Rutgers. And I think I got really high on them after the Florida State game, and now we look back on that, and Florida State probably just isn't very good, and that was part of it, and they were also down some players, so... Maybe we overreacted as a collective college basketball fan base to that game, looking back on it. But they still have been really good, and they're still a national title contender. Yeah. All right. Your number two is? So my number two is Duke. We touched on them a little right. bit. And then mm-hmm. I'm assuming we both have Baylor, number one. I think that's the only yes, team we ba- I mean, hit. Yeah. Ba- I-, I was skeptical heading into the year. I- I've lost all skepticism. I really have. And it's like, like why did we doubt I mean, him? I did the same thing, but I guess we doubted because no, they lost like so there much. Was valid re- yeah. yeah, there there were valid reasons to doubt them. 
Like, like I, I'm not upset that I, I doubt. Like, you're a national title team, and your minutes continuity year to year, you rank 236 in the country. And for those who don't know what minutes continuity is, it's it's your your returning production essentially. Um, and and when you're a national championship team that loses that many guys in. Not just that. I mean, you're losing literally your two best players. Maybe even three if you want to throw Messi Teague in, into that conversation right there, all right? You're losing two guys to the NBA plus Teague plus Mark Vidal who's going off and, and playing uh, in the NFL. You lost your top four so, scores, I think. So uh, you could even right. say top four players, and I'd be fine with that. Yeah, and, and like I like Adam Flagler, but I didn't know if he could come out and be the dude, and he's struggled from three. That was kind of his calling card last year was he was such a good three-point shooter, but – LJ Criers stepped in and played phenomenal off the bench for them. He's shooting 47% from three, and he's got the highest volume on the team. So, right. with it, again, I don't think this is necessarily an offensive team per se. Like, you just even look at the Villanova game. You won with 57 points, but defensively, I mean, def- defense is a culture thing. And just watching them and how they shut off contain with a lot of these, I mean, they just play. They essentially, I thought they were going to, when they lost Davion Mitchell, I thought they were going to lose a ton of what they did defensively. And it feels like they spawned like three Davion Mitchells out there defensively. Their man-to-man defense and their ability to keep Villanova in front of them was honestly some of the more impressive 40 minutes of defense I've ever watched in a college basketball game. To hold Villanova. They love playing defense. Yeah. Who the hell loves playing defense these days? And that's it. It's almost like the joke of, in the NBA, the Miami Heat culture and how that just affects players. And they come in, and it's guys that have been on three or four teams, and then they buy into the culture. Like, look at James Akinjo. It's his third team. He's never really been a defensive-oriented guy when he was at Georgetown, when he was at Arizona. Now he comes in and he's just bought into that culture right away. And it's sort of what we were talking about with Texas, where it's tough to convince guys to come in and buy into a new culture right away. But Scott Drew is doing it. And you went through the individual pieces and talked about, all right, like you can't really, that's not where you find the answer necessarily is looking at the individual players. Like I thought at the start of the year, if they were going to be good, it was probably going to be Flagler, Meyer really stepping up. Mm-hmm. It's not even Chamochachua like, being the the glue guy. Yeah, but it's not even like Matthew Meyer has taken a leap or Adam Flagler's taken a leap. It's just these freshmen are way ahead of the curve. These newcomers are way ahead of the curve, and this culture is just unbeatable at this point. And yeah. they're the best program in America right now, which is unbelievable to say that that Baylor is the right. best men's basketball program in America. Yeah, best culture, best like run program right now. And, and kudos to Scott Drew. And like, listen, you had some pieces to fill here. You hit on your transfer. You hit on your big transfer in, in James Akinjo. Yeah. And, and that right there kind of tells you the whole story. Because when you've got a guy like that who can score for you, um, it puts yourself in, and can facilitate for you as well. It puts yourself in a really, really good spot. So, yeah, I mean, the culture that Baylor has right now, second to none, which is crazy because like we've seen Villanova have – not down years, but maybe by their standards, feels like down years. And we're just not seeing that sort of hiccup right now with Baylor. And the beginning of their Big 12 schedule isn't the the most difficult as well. Like You you have a really big game against Iowa State. Really big game against Iowa State to open up the Big 12. But you can can coast a little bit, I think, in in this Big 12 just based off of your defense because it travels so well. Yeah. So I'm... I'm pretty excited for Baylor, and I'm glad they're back. Right, and to say they're the best program in America, I I think we're like a, a little bit on the younger side, if we're being honest, but it's it's pretty amazing because Baylor, to an older crowd maybe, they were a joke of a program for a while. I went back just looking at some I mean, of their— They were a joke like even four years—even when they were in the tournament at times, they were a joke. Yes, and— Again, it, I'm glad they played Villanova because it got me thinking there are sort of some similarities to how Scott Drew has built this thing up. It's taken a little bit longer than maybe some would have hoped to what Jay Wright did, but now it's they're regarded as two of the best coaches in America. And four or five years before Jay Wright won the national title at Villanova, that first one, people wanted him fired. Like, it's weird to think about that right now because <laughs> right. he's the guy that is, if you're hiring a program tomorrow, if you're Team USA, like, you're all over. You know, he's that type of coach now. But 
Scott Drew was the same way, and the way they start, they did not make an NCAA tournament appearance from 1988 to 2008. That's 20 years. Am I th- they had a player murder another player right before Scott Drew got there. Like, I'm not <laughs> yeah. even saying this as a joke. It's It was serious scandals in 2003. He comes in, his first six years at Baylor, they were 26-70 and 70 in conference play and made one NCAA tournament appearance as an 11 seed. Like, the fact that he has built this program to the number one program in America is almost impossible. The fact that he has a job. Yeah. yeah. The fact that he has a job. Let's put it that way. And um, I think that shows you. Am I you, seeing this right right now? Uh, Bavada is showing Baylor at a 12 to 1 to win it all? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the whole, will they actually do it again? Like, they, they climbed the mountain yeah. last year. And that's why mm-hmm. we were probably scared to take them as a serious national title contender at the start of this year. It felt like they had their moment in the sun last year, maybe, according to some people. But they're proven anyone who thought that wrong in – it just shows you that, again, I, I say this a lot, but if you're an athletic director, like stick it out with these coaches. I think Jay Wright and Scott Drew is a good example of, I just don't like how some of these programs nowadays, whether it's Texas or whoever, like these elite programs that have really high standards, they're just immediately getting rid of these coaches four or five years in. And I don't know if that's always yeah. the best solution. I mean, it's it shows you that if you stick it out, if you think you have the right guy, just trust it. I will say this, um, Maryland, you got it right. Yeah, Maryland, Mark Turgeon you did get had it right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Mark Turgeon was time to go. And it sounds like time that was go. his doing more than anything as well. Like he was just tired of the Maryland yeah, I mean, situation. Yeah, he can say what he wants. But um, all right, real quick, uh, I only have one one and done, but we can get into him here. One and done, my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> This is one of my favorite things that I think I've seen in the sport in like the last five or so years. But Coppin State uh, yes, I saw forgot this. their jerseys, <laughs> so they had to wear Drexel's practice uniforms to the game. I, I just like this is hilarious to me. Can you imagine what a nightmare it must have been to like? Not that there were a ton of fans at this game, but like just trying to identify players as well. Yeah, like who a lot that of it benefit? is. If you're I was trying to kid, figure that out, like. like does that hurt Drexel or help them? Because, you know, now you're you're guarding, you're going up, like you might want to pass the ball to a guy that you see in that jersey every day in practice, yeah. right? Right. It's I don't know. I, I found this extremely odd, and, and I don't know. It was funny to see. I'm not sure. Like, I, I can't even make a parallel to this right, right here. Like, it almost feels like you, it's one of those things where, do you ever have this, like, when you were a kid in youth soccer and, like, one team had – four guys and the other team had eight. So you just like lent a player to the other side. Like it's not that to the nth degree. It almost feels like a Trojan horse though, a little bit. Yeah. I, and there was a really good article by Kevin Sweeney on sports illustrated documenting their road trip and all the things they've Uh gone through. But hilarious that they literally had to wear practice jerseys from the other team. I saw that and got a kick out of it too. That was my one, one and done as well. So I, I felt right. like we had well, to mention that that was hilarious. This was, this was truly a one and done segment. Right. So, uh, <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for us here on today's made for March. We'll be back next week, breaking down the weekend should be a good one. Hopefully COVID doesn't just sort of roll through these programs right now because it's starting to, starting to amp up and yeah, starting to get scary. Attack. You're seeing some yeah. programs. Yeah, you're starting to see some some programs shut down. So hopefully we're not trending that way. But we shall see next week. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys later. The game was over.